Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Thank you for your support, and hopefully you'll get something out of the message that I have based my sermon on, which is on 2 Peter 1 to 15, which is the verses that I've just been read. So let's start by closing our eyes in prayer, and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the eternal truths that guide us day by day. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, your precious Son, and the sureness of his presence in our lives. Teach us how to turn to you so that your thoughts become our thoughts and your ways become our ways. Open our hearts and minds to listen and to obey your precious word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. This is a very interesting passage. To give you some background in terms of this passage, the Apostle Paul had to deal with some erroneous or poor thinking or bad thinking in the early church. There were false teachers going around saying that personal morality didn't really matter. So the main purpose in writing this book was to warn persecuted Christians about false teachers and to encourage them in their faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Faithful church members were becoming disturbed and shaken by these false teachers. So Peter encouraged them by saying, don't listen to them, listen to me. I was there with Jesus Christ right to the end. And now when, Paul, uh, when, sorry, when Peter wrote this letter, he was also very close to his end. He had very little time because he was now being arrested by the Romans and he would be a martyr for Christ as well. So he was writing this letter under some severe persecution himself, but he also saw that the state of the church was being discouraged by a whole range of people that were false prophets. So this message is pertinent to us today as much as it was in Peter's time as well. So that's why I've brought you this particular message. So the big idea, if you can project the big idea, is his divine power has given to us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So that is the big idea. So no matter what circumstances we are facing in life, God's divine power is available to us. But for that divine power to be accessed, there are certain things that we need to be aware of in terms of accessing God's divine power. Okay, so I start off by giving you a little illustration. Television advertisements always amuse me in many ways. I consider the world, when we consider the world that advertisements often present us with. If television advertisements were correct, then all the roads we drive on with our new cars would wind through beautiful mountains. Every time we went to McDonald's, we would see children laughing and having a ball. Every movie would be a blockbuster. Every soft drink would make our lives more fun. And every used car dealer would have a deal that we just couldn't resist. Now, we all know that's not true. But nevertheless, that's what advertisements say. The underlying message of most television commercials is this. You have a hole in your heart, and our product can fill it. Our product will make your life complete. How wrong all of that is. So that's what they're saying. So commercialism, advertisements, there's a hole in your heart. Believe it or not, we can do something about it. But in the 16th century, there was a theologian, no relative of mine, by the way, 
was a French theologian called Blaise Pascal. I named my son after him, my eldest son. <laughs> he got it right when he said, in every man's heart is a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. Okay. Advertising and commu- con- consumerism will tell you otherwise. Prosperity doctrine, all the prophets that are preaching all of this stuff will tell you otherwise. So just be careful to who you listen to. We are very blessed to be in this church where every Sunday the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed by whoever's up here in a very humble way. But the apostle Peter shouts out, shouts out to us in our day, no, don't listen to these advertising and false teachers. They're selling you a lie. Listen to me. I was there with Jesus Christ. So the gospel is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And if Christ doesn't return, it will be as relevant 2,000 years from today as well. Peter goes on to list seven things that God has given us to keep us effective and fruitful as Christians. Seven things that he's listed there. And those seven things are not dated. They're still as current today as they were in Peter's time. This leads me to believe that these seven qualities work together. And if any of them are missing, we are considered as nearsighted or blind. That's in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 it says that. It tells us if we have these qualities, we will not become unfruitful or barren. So what do we, what do we mean by saying unfruitful or barren as a Christian? It means that we are not producing fruit. We are barren as an unfruitful tree is. If there's any orchardist in this gathering, you will know that I've got a few orchardist friends. They can't afford to have trees that are unbarren or barren trees. They've got to be producing. So the produce, not producing of offspring means not producing new Christians, not prolific. It also means that if we as Christians are not producing anyone else beyond ourselves, then we also can be considered not prolific as Christians. So the purpose of the gospel is go out there. The last message that Jesus Christ was preached was to go out there and make disciples of men and women and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our omission. That is our grand commission. But the grand commission these days is becoming the grand omission because we are not following the commission, which is really, really important as Christians. I remember my Baptist pastor many years said to me, Jim, you are the last link in Christianity. It's true, isn't it? We are the last link in Christianity. So we have to link on to people like our own relatives, our own family, and so on. But please pray for them. There's no condemnation to those who love Jesus Christ. So this is not about condemnation. This is about examining oneself from time to time. Not producing good works is an unfruitful life as well. So in other words... Faith without works is dead, it says. But faith, works itself won't save you. It's faith in Jesus Christ. But once you come to a saving grace, you have to do something with that faith. So that's why we have missionaries. Today, I was handing out some missionary cards from the young couple that came here. You know, uh, Damien and Hannah, who are off to France very soon, and then off to Mauritius as well. And they asked us to pray for them. So if you put your name on the prayer list... I'll be giving you some cards as well. If you haven't, come and see me and I can give you some information to go on their prayer list as well. But there's a group of young people that are going out there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean to say we have to go to the other ends of the world. That's what they're doing. But our, our Jerusalem is here in Shepparton. So we have to produce fruit here in Shepparton. So when we produce fruit, then we are going to consider ourselves Christians. So we have to work in fertile soil as well. We need to be productive while we are working in fertile soil. Many, many years ago, I came across 
uh, an illustration which the Timex watchmakers uh, produced. I better put this so I know what the time is too. Many years ago, Timex, the watchmaker, had a slogan about their watches. Timex takes all the licking and keeps on ticking. I like that. Timex takes all the licking and keeps on ticking. The idea was simply that no matter what you did as a Timex, what you did to a Timex watch, it would always keep on working. If I remember correctly, that they even had a commercial that showed a barren nuclear wasteland, and in the wasteland, in the barren nuclear wasteland, was a Timex watch that was ticking away. You know, that that gave me an illustration in many ways about Christians. Faith in Christ is a lot like the Timex watch. It takes a licking, but it keeps on ticking. So many things tend to disrupt our faith. Many things will disrupt our faith. You know, this is not all about beer and Skittles. Maybe that's not the analogy I should be using, but what, you get what I'm saying. You know, in many ways, life is up and down. You know, it's a progression, but you've got to come. I draw a line often when I used to teach Sunday school and so on. I used to draw a straight line, and I used to say, kids, the line is the line to Jesus Christ. You've got to walk that line, but on that line, it's like radio waves. There'll be highs and there'll be lows, but keep coming back to that line. Keep coming back to that line. So keep coming back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in other words, because you will have highs and lows. No one can promise you a bed of roses. You know, that's only in the song. But you can't really have a bed of roses. So Christian faith is like that. It takes a licking, but it keeps on ticking. So many things try to disrupt our faith. Even though our faith is shaken at times, even though our faith is disturbed or disrupted, we must understand that behind our faith lies the sovereign God. The sovereign God, behind our faith lies a sovereign God. And it's important now to make a distinction about what faith really is. Faith in itself is just faith. A lot of people have faith. When you sit down on that chair, you have a faith that that chair won't collapse. But that's not the faith that we're talking about. The faith that we're talking about, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. The author and the finisher of our faith, it says. So you can't have faith in itself. So sometimes you can go to faith healers and people like that. You don't know what they're on about. So we are not about all of that. We are on about our object, the objective faith that we have is Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Anything less than that is not faith. So just be careful. It is not about mind manipulation. It's not about positive theologies and all that sort of stuff. It is having our faith in the gospel and in Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. So how do we grow in faith. How do we have faith that increases our trust in God? So Peter gives us an example. One of the answers to this question is that we must add something to our faith. We must add something to our faith. It's just not faith standing by itself there. To be a practical Christian that is working out its faith, we must add something to our faith. No matter how good a Timex watch is, no matter how good this watch is, there comes a time when I have to put batteries in this watch, right? So no matter how good our faith is there, we have to energize our faith. We have to energize our faith with spiritual batteries. So faith without spiritual batteries listed in these verses is dead. So in other words, faith by itself, you, you can say, even Paul says, he says, you're, you say you're a man of faith, show me your works. What did you actually do with that faith that we've given you? that Christ has bestowed upon you. What exactly are you doing with that faith? Are you just a person that comes to church every Sunday like I do? I'm, I'm as condemned with this message as everyone else should be in this group. 
Because oftentimes we go away thinking, it's a Sunday message, it's a lovely message, let's go away. Come Monday, we've forgotten it. Then Saturday comes again. But in between, we have to be working for the Lord in our own way. My way of working for the Lord is not your way. Your way is not my way. There are many, many ways that we can bring our faith to fruition. So you have, so if you were to summarize this whole verses 1 to 9, you can say something like that. So you have faith in Christ, God the Son. You've got to remember that. Christ is God the Son. And He is God. Your knowledge of God increases grace and peace in your life. The power of God helps you to live your life in victory. His promises help you to, to become like Him and to steer clearly of worldly ways. Now because of these things, be diligent. Since you have faith, add the following seven things to your faith. Add the following seven things to your faith. And I'm going to be very practical in the seven things that I'm going to be talking about. So what are the seven things? It says in the book of Peter here, the first thing is goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Not difficult things. You don't need a PhD to do all of this stuff. Right? This is a very, very practical, simple message that you can interpret for yourself in your own way, in, the, in your own context. So it says, if these seven things are in you and they are increasing, you will be fruitful, not barren. That's what the word says. If you lack these qualities, you are blind and you have left your first love by forgetting the forgiveness that you have received at the beginning of your walk with God. So all that I'm saying is just expository preaching, which is the word of God. It's not the gospel according to Jim Pascal. It's the gospel according to Jesus Christ that's happening here. That's all I'm doing here. So let's look at these seven qualities that Peter encourages you to think about. He says, since you have faith, first thing, add goodness to your faith. And all of these things come together, and they're not separate. They're all working together all the time. Okay, so you're not sort of isolating one from the other. That's an important point. So what is goodness? Goodness or moral excellence means excellent living. In one word, God is telling you and me that if we live by the Bible, we need to live morally pure lives. We need to live morally pure lives. Moral excellence or purity refers to every aspect of our lives. Physical, mental, and spiritual purity must be maintained if we expect his blessings on our lives. Okay, so purity seems such an old-fashioned word in, in our culture today because we are bombarded by things that we don't even want to see, things we don't want to read, messages that come across unintentionally on our phones. And so we have to live a pure life, a pure life. And we cannot live a pure life unless we are dependent on Jesus Christ. The whole message is about our dependency on Christ, even on all these qualities. You cannot enact any of these qualities by yourself. Since you have a relationship with God, we must be people of personal character. Many of you may have heard the old quote that goes something like this. Your ideal is what you wish to be. Your reputation is what other people say you are. Your character is who you really are. I'll read that again. Your ideal is what you wish you were. Your reputation is what other people say you are, but your character is who you really are. Character is the person you are when nobody sees you. Right? So when you, when you go to a petrol station, they give you more change, you give it back. And you say, you've just given me 20 cents more than what I should have paid for the newspaper. I take it back. You know, it's not, I want 20 cents, let's go. You know, and, and you teach children from a very young age these little character aspects, and ultimately they, they, they are important. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, Philippians 4, 8, it says that, 
It says that we are to think on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, or whatever is praiseworthy. We are to think on these things. That's where our mind should be, not all over the place. We can be distracted even in Christian circles by listening to this one, listening to that one, listening to this message, listening to that message, chasing everywhere. To the writing of words, there's no end, it says in the Bible. But we come back and think about what has God said in His Word. Why are we encouraged to think on such good things? We are encouraged to think on good things because where we focus our thoughts is where we'll shape our character. Our character is shaped by our thoughts. It starts with our thoughts. We must be mindful not to pollute our minds with ungodly influences. I don't need to tell you what the ungodly influences are. There are many and plenty ungodly influences. When you keep reading the Word of God, you will know exactly what the ungodly influences are. Many, many years ago, I heard a pastor preach a sermon, and he made this little illustration. He said, in the, in the, when they teach bank tellers how to count banknotes, they don't give them false banknotes, right? They, they give them the real note, and they, and they count money. These days they've got machines and things like that, but in the old days they used to just count money, the, the bank tellers. And when they used to count the real notes, and if they had a counterfeit note come in, they instantly recognized it. But when you gave them a counterfeit note, they tried this many a time, they gave tellers counterfeit notes, this is what a counterfeit note like. After a while, they couldn't distinguish between the counterfeit note and the real note. The reason why banks did that was basically, when you give them a, the real stuff, when they come across the wrong thing, they instantly recognize it. So when you're in the Word of God, you'll instantly recognize things that are not pure, things that are not lovely, things that are not admirable, things that are not excellent, things that are not praiseworthy, things that are not noble, things that are not true. You'll instantly recognize that because why? You're saturated by God's Word in your mind. Because that's where it starts from. There's another little quote I remind myself often about is, if we sow a thought, we reap an act. If we sow an act, we reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we reap a character. If we sow a character, we reap a destiny. It all starts there, right from character, right from a thought to a destiny. We sow a thought, we reap an act. We sow an act, we reap a habit. We sow a habit, we reap a character. We sow a character, we reap a destiny. Consequences matter in life. A lot of people think there are no consequences. You know, you do the crime, you, you have to do the time, don't you? Simple as that. You know, I worked in the prison system, not as a prisoner, I was in charge of education in, in Daringal and Beechwood and a couple of prisons where we had our staff in there teaching the prisons. I can tell you they're all innocent boys in there. All of them are very innocent. Why? They don't own, own up to their particular crime. But the ones that are really rehabilitated are the ones who say, I did the crime, I'm paying for the time. One bloke even told me a few years ago, he said to me, if Mike Willisie had not caught me, I would be still doing it because he was exposed on current affair. He was selling shonky stuff, and he got arrested. No repentance at all. But as Christians, we must come daily to the fountain of repentance and ask God. This is not about perfection. This is about sanctification. It's the long journey in the right direction, it's called. The long journey in the right direction. So the second thing is, to our, to our godliness, and we must add knowledge of God to our faith. We must add knowledge of God to our faith. Knowledge literally means an understanding of the truth and how to live it out. If you don't have knowledge, 
It says in the word of God, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. In Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. So we must have knowledge and biblical knowledge. There is a paucity in churches today about biblical understanding and knowledge. A major survey was conducted in America not long ago. I've got the article at home. And they found that biblical understanding in churches is at, is at an all-time low. Why? Because we are leading, we're reading little snippets or listening to little snippets in sermon, but we're not applying ourselves to God's Word. We must understand God's Word. It's a lifelong uh, process. You can't say, I've read the Gospel and off I go. One of my friends who is now no longer attending church, he considers himself a Christian. He said, I've heard it all. Don't need to be there. You know, many a time I said, that's not what God's word is about. You know, God's word is a lifelong process. And it says, do not forsake the assembling of one another. So that's where we learn God's word. But we also have to learn it in our own prayer time, in our own study time as well. So we have to understand that. There's a man called Pastor Derek Prince. You may or may not have heard of him. He was a great uh, Pentecostal theologian. At 27, he was one of the youngest professors at Oxford University. All of his companions and all of his colleagues went on to great positions in the diplomatic service and government and so on. But he gave up his career at Oxford and committed his entire life to studying the word and living out his faith as a missionary to Africa. When he came across the the verse in the Bible which said, All wisdom, knowledge, and understanding resides in Jesus Christ. Now, this is a man at 27. It's pretty hard to be a professor at 27. He was a fellow at 27 at Oxford. He gave it all up, and it happened over a cup of tea where two old ladies invited him and said, come around, and they shared the gospel with him, and they opened up the word, and this particular word struck him so much. All wisdom, knowledge, and understanding resides in Jesus Christ. So he said, what am I doing as a philosophy professor when... This is the word that I should really be studying. And he went on to be a missionary for many, many years, opened an orphanage in, in Israel, you know, worked, in, uh, worked in Africa, and wrote a great many good books on Christian understanding of what it means to live a life as a Christian. So we need to add knowledge in terms of our faith. Because if we don't understand God's word, it says here, only a fool says there is no God in God's word. Only a fool says there is no God. But we know there is a God. Why? Because we read God's word and we understand it. We don't understand it just emotionally. Emotions are important. Emotionalism is a different thing altogether. We all have emotions, but we also need to use our intellect and bring it to bear on God's word. The third thing is add self-control to your fight. You may say, I just can't control myself, Jim. I just can't control myself. You know, that statement is a lie from the enemy. We can all control ourselves. It's just that we don't want to control ourselves. So self-control has an application in every area of our lives. There are several areas where we need to practice self-control. I can go on and give you many, many examples of self-control, but I'm going to give you only one example from the Word of God. If anyone, in James 1.26, it says, James 1.26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. An old proverb warns warns us, it's an old proverb that I came across, warns us that the tongue is in a slippery place. You know, it just slips out. I couldn't control myself. I just had to say it. You didn't have to say it. You need to control yourself. And James 1.19 says this. I read this often because I've been in positions where it just slipped out as well. 
So it says, James 1.19 encourages by saying, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Slow to, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For every man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So we often get it the other way. We are quick to speak and slow to listen. But we, mean, we must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Next time we are tempted to lose control, we need to remember that through God we have the power to walk in self-control. Access it and add it to your fight. If you lack some of these things, ask God to, to give it to you, and he will give it to you because he will give things that are according to his will and purpose. So self-control is one thing that's part of his will and purpose for our lives. The fourth aspect is add perseverance. It is our faith and trust in God that helps us to endure under trial. Perseverance. That's against another old word. People tend to give up. Nothing worthwhile achieving in life is without a perseverance. You cannot become a carpenter until you serve four years as an apprentice. And then you serve another four or five years learning the trade under someone who knows more than you. Teachers, carpenters, whatever you are, you know, you have to serve your apprenticeship. And that's perseverance. First you study for your qualification as a tradesman. Then you study for your qualification as a, as a university graduate. But you have to persevere. Don't give up. You know, Winston Churchill once was invited to a school uh, gathering of young people. And they asked him to, to get up and speak. And, and, they, and they thought, well, Wilson's here. He'll give us a rousing speech and he'll say all the things we need to hear. All he's got up and he said was four words. Never, never, never give up. And that served him through World War II as well. You know, England was a defeated nation. You know, that man's courage, that man's fortitude, that man's foresight, and the man's words galvanized England against Nazi Germany. Why? He had perseverance. He knew his destiny. He knew where he was going. So it applies in the normal circumstances. You see people who have been successes, and people always say, gee, you're an overnight success. And they always say, that overnight was a long, long time. It was a long night before that success happened. So we have to persevere. Once you put your hand to the plow, it says in the Bible, don't look back. Once you become a Christian, there's no looking back. You've, you've got on that pathway, you keep going. Run the race till the end is inside, Paul recommends us. God's word encourages us to never tire of doing good, for in due season we will reap a reward. Let me give you a very good illustration. Who likes the cartoons in the newspapers? Right? I'm not a big sports fan, but I love cartoons, so I go to the cartoon pages and then I go to the front pages, and I like all the little cartoons. Now, in my day, Charlie Brown was a very famous person in the cartoon character world. Charlie Brown, the comic character, is out to bat. Strike three. He has, never, he's, he has been struck out again and slumps over to the bench. Rats, he says, I'll never be a big league player. I just don't have it. All my life I've dreamed of playing in the big league, but I know I'll never make it. Lucy turns to console him. Charlie Brown, you're thinking too far ahead. What you need to do is set yourself more immediate goals. He looks up. What's immediate goals? Lucy said, yes, Charlie. Start with the next inning. When you go out to the pitch, see if you can walk out to the mound without falling down. 
you know. So little, little things matter in life. Charlie had to learn how to walk out there without falling down. You know, he couldn't become a big term batter unless he learned the small lessons in life. The point of the story is do the next right thing. Hang in there and don't worry about all that is to come. Just do the next right thing. You know, that's a really good lesson. Someone told me that many years ago. I've never forgotten that. He said in Christian circles, do the next right thing. God's grace is sufficient. Fear not for tomorrow, for God is already there. God is not bound by space and time. He's already, already there. And one verse here, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance again the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. There are only two days we need to be concerned about. There are two days, is today and that day. You're very familiar with the word today, but what do I mean by that day? That day is when we will meet the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. Until then, we keep persevering. Like a Timex watch, we just keep ticking on. The only two days in our lives, today and that day. Sufficient are the worries for today, it says. And perseverance is like that. Just do the right thing today. You know, of course it's important to have goals and plans and things like that. But on the other hand, they can be so consuming, your plans and your goals, and things don't work out sometimes. Many plans of of mice and men, it says, they don't always work out. You know, so we've got to be careful sometimes that we're not so absorbed in the future that we're not living our lives in perseverance on a day-to-day basis. So the next thing they says is, add godliness or holiness to our faith. And, you know, uh, Todd, one of his... Ending sermons was on holiness. So I thought a lot about what he was talking about, what holiness means, you know. Godliness and holiness can be translated as the same. It's walking in the view of God's greatness, of his holiness. This is a person who has, whose every action and attitude is yielded to the commands of the Lord. He spends his days serving God and serving man. Eyes focus on God, but focus on the world as well. That is the cross, right? The cross is vertical. And horizontal right the vertical is God horizontal is your fellow man so the cross represents how we should live not living on our own but focusing on God asking for his guidance asking for his favor being totally dependent in everything but on the other hand not forgetting that we also live in the world it says in Ecclesiastes 12:13, now that all has been heard and I love the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you go read Ecclesiastes, Solomon embarked upon everything. You know, every vice, every thing that was not right. We don't really know when you read the book of Solomon where Solomon is today. You know, he may have repented. We don't know. But this man had a thousand concubines. He indulged in everything. He was the wealthiest man at the time. Had every, if you think someone has done the calculations, he said, Bill Gates is nowhere near as rich as Solomon ever was. You know? So he indulged in everything. But at the end, he says, 
This is the sum of everything. In Ecclesiastes, in the last chapter, he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And in Leviticus 11.14, it says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is an old-fashioned word, but it is a command. It is not a choice. Because God says, I am holy, therefore you be holy as well. And it's about godliness. Holiness is not a superficial activity. It's not walking around with, with a pious look on your face, not sharing a clean joke with people. Clean, I mean. You know, I love a sense of humor. You know, but you need to be a normal, natural person who understands his God, who knows his God. After sitting in churches for many years, listening to hundreds of sermons, surely you must know your God by now. And to know your God, you've got to be in the Word of God. You know? There's an old saying, when your Bible is falling apart, your life isn't. Okay? But when your Bible is intact, your life is falling apart. Which means that you're not reading your Bible. Your Bible is in pristine condition, but your life is falling apart. But when your Bible is in tatters, your life is not falling apart because you've gone, you've thumbed through this word, you've underlined it, you've written through it, it's falling apart, and things like that. So the word, you must love the Word of God because that's the only thing that's going to take you through the journey of life. Nothing else was going to take you. No philosophies, no ideologies. You can vote liberal, you can vote labor, labor, you can vote national party, you can have all these ideologies that you personally subscribe to. When people ask me, what do you subscribe to? I very gently say, I belong to the only party that's worth belonging to, the Jesus Christ party. Because otherwise you get into debates and discussions and fruitless discussions after a while. I do have my leanings, by the way, but it's not as relevant as the Word of God. Because all these parties... Okay, I'll I'll do a little quiz with you, right? Who was the fourth Prime Minister of Australia? Right? What was your great-great-great-grandfather's name? I don't know. I'll have to go back to my family tree. Why do I say that? I say that because all of that is passing away, but the Word of God endures forever. So that's why we need to understand the things that are so close to us even decay. They pass away. The Word of God tells us that. Store up things in heaven that will last. Don't store up things that will just rust and die with you. You know, it's so important, you know. So it's really important. And I don't know my great-great-grandfather's name, by the way. And brotherly kindness to your faith. Number six, we're coming to the end. Add brotherly kindness to your faith. Brotherly kindness means, literally means brotherly love. And this is what in John, John 4, 20 to 21, it says, John 4, 20 to 21. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God also loves his brother. So it's really important. We first love our brothers that are in the house of God. We need to love each other. And this church does love people. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. You know, I'm, I'm as guilty as walking out of this church and wanting to get home and things like that very quickly. There's lunch waiting, got to go, all that bit. But you, you need to be aware that sometimes we need to be attentive to people. Now, having said that, 
please forgive me. I have a son who's leaving for Sydney at 3 o'clock, and he's sitting in the audience. I've got to get him to the airport after this service. So I won't be staying very long, but I will stay as much as I can. So that's my reason. We've got to get there. His flight was at 4 o'clock. It was brought to 3 o'clock. I thought I had enough time, but now we've got to go and have some lunch on the way somewhere. So in Thessalonians 1, 4, 9 to 10, it says, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel even more. So he's talking to a church in Macedonia that are showing love to each other. But he's saying, don't stop there. Excel, even, even do more. You know? And we can all do, we can express our love in many, many ways. In many, many ways. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I have a friend who has serviced over 100 lawnmowers as a Christian brother and given it away. Right? You know, he picks up lawnmowers from the tip. He's an old man now. He doesn't do as much as he used to be able to do. But that's his ministry of loving each other. Right? He repairs his lawnmowers and he gives it away. Gives it away. Gives it away. Over 100 lawnmowers. He's helped me with lawnmowers, right? So I dearly love this brother. He's very useful. <laughs> but so, no, he is a very, very good brother. So brotherly kindness starts in the house of God. So the final one is we need to add love to our faith. We need to love add to our faith. Peter is referring to that self-sacrificing, never-ending, all-encompassing, unconditional love that Jesus displayed when he came to earth to die for our sins. It was an unconditional love. Fancy in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, it was hard, it wasn't easy. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me, right, at that particular point in time. What happens if he decided, no, I think I'll stop you. This is far too hard. Enough. This is enough. You know, but he persevered. He went to the cross for our sake. And our motivation for love is Christ's love for us. My motivation, my love won't even go past the third row in this seat. I can tell you that. You know, because that's where it'll end. But I always have to come back and say, what did Christ do for me? That is, I have to do for others. Right? Because if I just say, Jim's love, it won't pass the third row of the seat. I'll tell you that now. Because I'm not a saint. I'm an ordinary person just like you. I'm trying my best in every... When I preach the sermon, it preaches to me as much as it preaches to you. So we need to constantly, that's why he said, Peter says this, he said, I need to remind you of this stuff constantly, because you will forget. What's the average attention span of a person? Seven minutes. What's the average attention of a person remembering things? Seven days. After that, we forget. Next week, you'll go away and say, what did Jim talk about again? You know, <laughs> most of us, I might forget what I spoke about. Don't worry about you. But you've got to be back in the Word and start reading it. Go over the sermons and read it. Not even in its entirety, but read God's Word for your sake. You don't have to read 1 Peter 15. I'm not telling you to read the 2 Peter 1 15. Read whatever God is saying. And a bit of application is better than a whole lot of reading. You know, read it and apply it. So it says in Corinthians, If I speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So we've got to be very careful in terms of how we are shaping our lives. Sometimes even as Christians, we, we become very legalistic in, in our attitude. Now, I'm not 
condoning any of these practices. It's up to you. I'm not your, I'm not your conscience. God is your conscience. But we can be people who think like, I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't go out with crazy blokes. Right? That's, that's my Christianity. And that's about it. So they come to church every way thinking, I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't go out with crazy blokes, and that's my Christianity. And I don't do anything else. Right? You know? I mean, the greatest Christians did all of that. You know? And I'm not saying they did all of that, but they left it behind at some point in their lives. You know, the man who wrote, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, the great song we still sing 300 years later, was a slave trader, a ship's captain that sent slaves, took slaves to the West Indies, from the West Indies to the colonies, and he was a slave trader. But when he was touched with God's truth, he became a minister, and he's written amazing things. That's what amazing love is all about. You know, amazing love motivates you to do things that you yourself wouldn't do. Because it's God's love that's motivating you. And we shouldn't be so legalistic about the world and what they're doing. God doesn't condemn the world, but he checks us. He checks us. We are Christians. We should know better. They don't know better. They haven't received God's grace yet. We need to share God's love and grace with these people. But as Christians, we need to know better and how to live our lives loving each other, caring for each other. So in conclusion... I like to say, you might notice the word add. I kept saying add, add all the time. Notice the word add is constantly added to faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. It does not teach that we first get faith perfect, then we add goodness. Then we get knowledge perfect, then we add, add knowledge. It doesn't mean that. All these qualities are, are being sanctified in us gradually. What it means is that these qualities are to be practiced as a whole. They need to come together over time and we achieve it. Right? We can't say... I'm a very knowledgeable person, but I'm totally unloving. What's the point? And I've seen people like that. I've seen ministers like that even. Highly knowledgeable people. And when you get off the pulpit, they're as cold as fish. You go up and shake their hands, and they think they don't even want to know you. And they say, hang on, I'm Jim. I like to know you. You know? You know? I don't want to know you because if you want to know me, you're not in the green room. I've been in churches where they have green rooms and things like that. All the elites sit in there, and we're all, the, all the plebs are out there waving to them. You know, that is not Christianity. That's a hierarchy. You know, next he'll be wearing rings and kiss my ring. You know, you know, that is not Christianity. That is so wrong, right? I'm not into all of that, right? So we've got to be careful that we don't become legalistic and have a hierarchy. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? There's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no female, there's no male. We're all together in Christ, serving him to our best of ability. Yes, there are functions in the church, That's very different, but we're all equal at the same time. God wants us to have them all operating in our lives, all these qualities, and submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I close by giving you this little thought of mine. Goodness without faith in Christ is cheap veneer. You're putting it on. Knowledge without faith in Christ is useless information. Self-control without faith in Christ is your straining unnecessarily. Perseverance without faith in Christ is empty at the end. Godliness without faith in Christ is mere religion. Brotherly kindness without faith in Christ is self-serving. Love without faith in Christ is not true love. So, the thing is, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. All these qualities can't be achieved until you and I are in Christ and in His Word. The challenge for us all is to regularly, prayerfully examine our lives to ensure that we are adding all these qualities to our faith. Christ like seven qualities and remembering that it is God's divine power 
working in us that is enabling us to flourish in all of these qualities. Christ says, without me, you can do nothing. So don't persevere on your own. You can do nothing without him. Unless you are in the word, humble and being dependent on God, then these qualities will be added to you. So don't go home and practice self-control with your wife or love or something like that. You know, it's a good thing. I'm not saying don't do it. But I'm just saying, remember, the author and the finisher of our faith is Christ. It comes back to Christ. He's the object of our faith. These qualities will abound in us if we are living in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening, and I'll end by prayer. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, you are the object of our faith. Help us to keep our minds stayed on you. Without you, we can do nothing. With you, we can do everything. Grow us in, grow in us, Holy Spirit, these seven qualities, so that we may become more and more like you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the glory of your heavenly Father. I ask this for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I particularly ask this for myself as well. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.